Welcome to the Data Skeptic bonus feed, where we release extended content on data science, statistics, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. So welcome to another episode of the Data Skeptic podcast. I'm joined this week by Ang Nguyen. Thanks for joining me, Ang. My pleasure. Thank you, Kyle. So we're going to talk about an interesting paper you wrote on deep learning uh, with some collaborators, but I thought maybe we could start by me asking your background and how you got into this topic. Uh, yes, I've been working with um, image recognition and artificial intelligence for the last like eight months so far, and this, this, is, this is my very first project, which uh, turns out to be very interesting. Yeah, definitely. A lot of my listeners, I think there's a pretty diverse background. Some people are casual, some people are experts in the field. So I thought it would be helpful if maybe we could give a quick layperson's definition of some of the things that we'll talk about in our conversation. Things like artificial neural networks. And would you mind sharing your perspective at a high level on what these tools are? Yes, the um, artificial neural networks basically is an uh, abstract model of the animal brain or human brain. Basically, the network composed of uh, neurons and correct connections between neurons to transmit the information. So each neuron is a mathematical function, for example, a sigmoid. Built upon the artificial neural networks, we have deep neural networks or DNNs, which are basically the neural networks, but with more layers, more hidden layers to solve more practical problems like image recognition or voice recognition or natural language processing. Yeah. When I think of neural networks, I often think that you have some wide array of inputs. Let's say that's an image that every pixel is a possible input or that each color in the pixel is an input. Um, so a huge amount of, of data and then you want generally one or just a few indicators on the back end like a classification that says this is an image of a chair or this is an image of a panda or something like that. And then yes. there's all those neurons you're describing kind of in the middle layers. Um, what's the key reason that people look into doing more than two layers into what we call deep learning? Because uh, practically they found that doing more than two layers, you actually extract the hierarchical features from an image. For example, if you recognize a dog, you first look at um, the legs and then you look at the eyes and then you combine the features, the information together into higher layers. And then you say, okay, this is a dog because we found the legs, we found the eyes, we found the furs. So the deep layers or the multiple layers of representations allow the network to build a deep representation of the dog. To my understanding, it tries to model a little bit of the human visual cortex. Is that fair? Yes, it's uh, fair enough. It's following the inspired by that concept. Could you tell me a little bit about the typical process for training one of these systems? Let's say if the cutting-edge technology we use discriminative models. So for a discriminative training process with backpropagation, basically we show to the network images and the labels of the images. For example, we have two training sets, the trainings and the validation sets. Mm -hmm. so let's say we start with a training set. We take, for example, a batch of 50 images and one by one we show it to the network, a fresh network which has not been trained and then ask for what it thinks about the image. Let's say it says, this is a dog. If it's a correct answer, you move on to the next image. If this is an incorrect answer, then you have to calculate the error that the network makes and then you propagate the error back and then change the weights of the network, update the network so that in the next time when you show the same image, 
it will predict correctly. You keep doing that until the accuracy is at a reasonable rate and then you stop. That is a typical training process. That makes sense. From my perception, it seems like image recognition, especially in consumer software, has gone from being like almost non-existent a decade ago to being really prevalent. I think everyone's had an experience on Facebook or something like that where the system picks out people's faces and does a generally a pretty good job with that. Yes. One might be very hasty in saying that, oh, the problem's been solved. See, it's working. But what's your assessment of the current state-of-the-art in image recognition? Are we at the bleeding edge or are we at the very beginning? Actually, we are pretty a good state right now mm -hmm. um, because state-of-the-art image recognition algorithms can recognize faces in like handwritten digits. You can give it a mail and then it can sort the mail for you. However, currently these days, image recognition tools, they are used for much higher dimensional problems such as uh, photographs, 3D images, uh, videos, which has the time, time uh, factor in there. Also, um, you can use image recognition tools for medical scan to look for traces of cancers and all sort of higher level problems. Interesting. Yeah. It could speed up a lot of medical exams if, if all the images could go into one system and it could take out maybe some of the human error if it could recognize problems or potential problems, which would be a, yes. a really cool advancement. Exactly, yeah. So your paper is, Deep Neural Networks Are Easily Fooled, High Confidence Predictions for Unrecognizable Images, if anyone wants to Google that, and I'll have it in the show notes as well. So would you mind summarizing what you guys studied? To summarize our we study, I'll first go on, I'll first touch base to what previously has been shown. In 2013, the intriguing properties of neural networks paper have shown that while DNNs or deep neural networks have shown amazing performance recognizing real images with high accuracy up to 60%. For example, if you give it an image of a school bus taking at a weird angle, it still can recognize this is a school bus. Mm -hmm. However, if you modify the images in a way that are imperceptible to human eyes, let's say you change a few pixels only in the image and show it to the deep neural networks, it's totally misclassified as, for example, a lion. It will say this is a lion. But to a human, this is the same image. You can't even recognize the difference. Yeah, a lot of the images you guys produced are just white noise to my eyes. So it's not like a pony gets classified as a donkey where maybe even a human would make that mistake. It's images that the human eye would completely reject. Yes. In our research, we showed that a different phenomenon that the deep neural networks make false positives we show that it is easy to produce synthetic images that look totally unrecognizable to humans, but that the deep neural networks believe with near certainty, like 99.99% are like familiar objects like lions or penguins, but they totally look nothing like lions or penguins. So when I first started your paper and had just kind of gotten through the abstract, I was wondering to myself, you know, maybe this is a case where they haven't trained enough or there weren't enough layers in the network or not enough neurons that just sort of a few enhancements would solve it. But as I read more and more, that doesn't seem to be the case. So I was wondering, did you guys look at maybe trying to make richer training examples or is that just sort of a fool's errand? Is there an inherent problem in the deep learning approach? Um, I would say the answer would be complicated, but mm -hmm. um, if you have more images, more classes, or more constraints to the um, model, you will be able to get less of these fooling images. 
but the core idea of the phenomenon is lying in the discriminative nature of the cutting-edge models. Basically, the network is trained to discriminate images, for example, will tell, to tell the difference between a table and a chair. But it's not built or trained to recognize this is a chair that has four legs, this is a table that has four legs and a tabletop. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's just to different, differentiate between two classes, for example. So that the problem lies in right there the discriminative features or nature of the networks. So would I be correct in saying that sort of the the kernel of truth here is that the networks are trying to be able to describe the training examples by whatever features possible and it might select features that are useful in the training examples but not necessarily ones that are intuitive to the human eye is that a, a fair assessment? Yes, let's say I give you a pattern of yellow and black alternating lines. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to you? Yellow and black alternating. Oh, uh, like a bee maybe? Yes, like a bee. Or somebody say it's a school bus. Same thing if you give such a pattern to the neural network, to the deep neural networks, which is trained to discriminate the classes, it will tell this is a school bus or this is a bee because I found that pattern but not because I found the head of the bee or I found the antenna of the bees. No, it's because you found that patterns to discriminate between other objects. Mm-hmm. Can you describe your process for generating the images that fool the networks? We first set our goal, let's say, producing images that a network thinks to be a school bus. So first we show a random image to the network, mm-hmm. and then we ask the network to rate it. For example, it will rate this is a school bus with 1% of confidence. And then we go back to the image and we use optimization algorithms such as numerical optimization like gradient descent mm-hmm. or evolutionary algorithms. And then we change the image, we modify the image uh, slowly, gradually, bit by bit. And then we go back and ask for the network's uh, opinion again. Let's say the network thinks this is a school bus with 5% of confidence. Then we keep doing that. We keep changing the image until the confidence reaches 99%. Uh, interesting. So it's kind of a stochastic search based on yes. the feedback um, you're getting from the trained network. Yes. Very cool. Do you think the, the fooling images, are they exploiting specific artifacts of a specific deep learning network? Or do you think that's a, it's a general case that you could take a fooling example and show it to lots of different researchers' networks and it's likely to fool them all? Um, yes, the answer would be yes. Um, they generalize. We actually did a test in, the, in, in this research. So we test different artifacts and then the problem's still there. And then we even tested the fooling images on different architectures and they, they were able to fool different architectures. Yeah, one of the things I found most striking about the paper was the high confidence rates of misclassification. The human eye is far from perfect. So if I saw something and I thought it was a school bus and it was actually a toy, you know, in a dark room of a school bus, that's not the worst misclassification. But some of these things, like there's, I think, a guitar example you have in the paper that looks not even remotely like a guitar. It's actually kind of an, if I had to say what it is, it's a nice piece of abstract art, if anything. But it looks nothing like a guitar, yet it comes up with like 98 or 99% certainty. Yes. Um, we have a network that's very certain uh, of something that we think is very wrong. Does that mean we have a fundamental problem in our approach? I think to answer this question, it's a bit of, it's a long answer. For sure. 
for example, if we tested the images in the validation set, we give like 50,000 images to the network, and for all the images that are network rates correctly as the classes that the image is supposed to be, the confidence turns out to be only 60% median. Mm. So in, that is a rel relative reference to this. So if we have like a 99% confidence, that is pretty high from the median. Uh, th and that 60% comes from your cross-validation testing, I presume? Yes, from the validation test. So perhaps one way we could look at this is to say we have a classifier that is 60% accurate, which is, is pretty good, but certainly not perfect by any standard. Um, so it's going to make some mistakes, and some of those, but by definition, and some of those mistakes may or may not be at high confidence levels. Do you think that would be an appropriate way to be skeptical of the results of a deep learning trained example? I think we have a misunderstanding here. Mm -hmm. uh, the confidence here is, let's say, if if you give the network an image of a school bus and it thinks this is a sixty percent school bus, and then ten percent this is a flat tire mm -hmm. because it saw a tire as well. So that is the confidence that we refer in the paper. But um, the 60% here is the accuracy. Let's say if I give you 10 images, and if you correctly classify six of them, that is 60% accuracy. Mm -hmm. But it's not equivalent to 60% confidence. Got it, got it. Yeah. So how much do you think a, a good training corpus of images affects the end result and the likelihood of a network having a, a potential weakness like this? In other words, do we kind of blame all the fooling on having a set of images that isn't perhaps robust enough or show all of the possible space of features that might be seen in the future? Or is the problem more significant than that? I think the problem is more significant than this because it is a discriminative nature of the network that causes the problem. If a network is trained to classify, let's say, a Husky A type of dog and then Husky B type of dog, mm -hmm. let's say Husky A has a white fur and Husky B has yellow fur, mm -hmm. then what you are set out to do is just to classify the fur color. So if I give you a white image, you say, okay, Husky A. If I give you a yellow image, you say it is Husky B without actually looking for the legs or the head of the dog. It's much more bigger problem than just the training images. In a lot of other machine learning approaches, take something like decision tree learning, some people will say they like those because there's a human readable component to them. Now, I might disagree because if your decision tree has thousands of nodes, it's, it's very difficult to, to read that. But at least yeah. there, there's generally something intuitive about it. And people can kind of look at the various decision steps and say, OK, I, I can see the rationale that's exposed here. But it doesn't seem that you have the same luxury in deep learning because the result of your network is a description of how the neurons are connected and all their weights. And so mm -hmm. just knowing the, where the neurons are and what their weights are doesn't tell you anything about, oh, it's, it's classifying dogs by detecting fur or by detecting color or other things like that. Do you think there's a way around that where we can extract intuition from the networks? Or is that just the, the nature of the problem? You mean to looking into how the network classifies an, an image of a dog? Exactly. Like, yeah, what features is the network actually using for that classification? Yes, actually, there, there, were, there were a previous study that actually looked at the image of a dog, give mm -hmm. it to the network, and let's say the network thinks this is a 99% dog. Then the author went out to 
disable a few pixels, let's say, let's say a block, the mm -hmm. eye of the dog, and then the network will lower the confidence. So by doing that, you actually can find out which features the network is looking at to give that classification. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Most humans have had an experience where they thought they saw something they didn't, and this is generally a phenomenon we call pareidolia. Are you familiar with that term at all? Yes, pareidolia, yes. Do you think it's a fair analogy to say this is like machine pareidolia, or are these very different phenomena? We think that this is two separate phenomena, because pareidolia to humans, you look at the sky and you say, okay, I saw a sheep in the cloud. Mm -hmm. Because you talk to yourself that I see a sheep, but in the cloud, you still think this is a cloud, but you saw also a sheep shape of a sheep. So you're not actually fool at all. You don't think this is a sheep. You think it's a cloud. But in here, the machine thinks this is uh, a sheep, not a cloud. Uh, that's an interesting point. Yeah, definitely. Yes. In a similar way, there are these uh, a lot of the evolved images that are in the paper, things that like parrots and coffee cups that both the human and your networks are identifying that way. But we kind of identify them, at least I do, that these are obviously constructed images. They're almost they're more like art than a than a photograph. Yes. Are those the result of that sort of stochastic search process we were discussing earlier? Yes, it, it was the result of the um, evolutionary algorithm we use. I think if you um, started from, let's say, a random image, and it classifies as 1% school bus, yes. and then you start making perturbations and mutations to maximize that confidence, a number yes. of the evolved images start to look like something, whether it be a parrot or a black panther or something like that, to the human eye. Yes. But of course, the starting point, which will probably look more like white noise. So there has to be both a convergence process for the confidence of the network, but also a, there's probably a convergence of when people start to agree that the image is a facsimile for what the network is detecting. Is that, is, do you find that to be the case? Yes, we found that to be the case, yes. Um, so do you think that's something in the nature of images being more abstract, that eventually you know, the, the network can say it's confidently... A, a facsimile and that's okay or is it that there's the deep neural networks are likely to always miss the subtle difference between facsimile and true image um, I think the answer would be when the network starts to see some features mm -hmm. let's say a lack of a dog and and then it will make the decisions so if you can produce an image that somehow shows a lack of a dog and then if you copy and paste that feature only around, you actually can uh, raise the confidence of the network. Hmm, interesting. If we have good reason to believe that deep neural networks can be fooled, and I think we do from your paper, can we rely on these technologies? If you were in charge of setting up security at a sensitive location, would you trust facial recognition to be a part of the security? I would say a very interesting question. I would say security is all about trade-offs. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on how sensitive the, the, the task is, the location is. If it is like a White House, then probably I would not use it. I myself am very eager to uh, own one of these self-driving cars we're hearing so much about. Do you think I should be afraid that it might think that you know, some dirt on the road is an obstacle and, and swerve to avoid? Actually, that is, a good, that is a good fear, but we think that this fooling phenomenon would less likely to occur in such a high-dimensional space. Mm -hmm. because you have a lot of constraints. It, it is 3D images, and also it is a video, by mm -hmm. the way. So you have a lot of constraints, and it's 
much harder to fool the network, um, to find a fooling example to fool the network. Makes sense. So what can be done by uh, you and, and other future researchers to fix these sorts of issues and prevent deep neural network training cases from being fooled? Yes, we um, feed the network with fooling images so that, let's say, we create a new category called garbage mm-hmm. and we put all the fooling images previously fooled the network into thinking they are familiar objects into this garbage category mm-hmm. and then train the network again. So now the network knows that these images are garbage. The answer actually is complicated. So we tested on two different scales of architectures. On a large scale architecture, the network actually can recognize this is garbage from the previous round. So the network is not uh, subject to fooling anymore. But for the smaller scale network, actually, we actually can keep producing fooling images after even 15 rounds of um, training. So let me see if I understand correctly. You do a traditional training, and then you'll use the stochastic search to generate some fooling examples. And then these will constitute new test cases for your training with a, a new categorical label of garbage. So hopefully the system can learn to identify garbage correctly. Yes. And improve accuracy for the second round and kind of do that iteratively. And after, uh, I think you said 15 iterations, you're still able to produce fooling images? Yes. After 15 uh, iterations, the network is still fooled by the newly produced images. Wow. Is it getting better or is it converging at all? Or do you think this is sort of an unending tunnel to go down? Um, But that that result is for the small scale or the MNIST network. Mm Mm-hmm. But for the large skills, after one iteration, the network can already recognize this is garbage and it's not full anymore. Oh, so interesting. There are two results here. It's a bit complicated. Uh, what do you think is the distinction? Uh, it, in my mind, I would think smaller areas would have less dimensionality and might be easier, but it sounds like it's the opposite. Yes, it sounds like the opposite. We still cannot um, make a conclusion why the problem ha- is happening at the moment. So area of future research? Yes, that's part of our future research, yes. Cool. Well, that brings me to another good question. Uh, what's next for you and your co-authors? Yes, sure. We'll further investigate the, the fooling problem on different network architectures, especially the generative models, which are the models that are different from the cutting-edge models, which are discriminative. So we find we, we try to look at uh, this problem from different perspective and see if the fooling phenomenon still happens on generative models. So before we close, you know, this is a podcast both for data scientists and for skeptics. So I feel compelled to ask your thoughts on the famous face on Marge image artifact. Are you familiar with that at all? Is that the similar to the pareidolia? It is a little bit. Yeah, it's there, there's a. A, a, a conspiracy theorist guy who thinks he's found evidence of civilizations on Mars, and one such piece of evidence is that there's apparently he claims a, a big, f- like monument that's a human face that you can see in, in some of the I think it's the Voyager images. Okay, I see. Um, so I, I know we're getting a bit off topic, but uh, I like to throw a bone to some of my skeptical listeners sometimes. <laughs> Do you think image recognition researchers should pay attention to negative examples like that, or are these just interesting curiosities? Actually, it, it's a valid, um, it's a valid, uh, it's a valid uh, negative example. I think we should pay attention, but but 
currently the networks are still fooled by those TV static which look nothing like a face mm -hmm. so we still have a lot to do before worrying about the networks being fooled by face on Mars image you know. Applying genetics algorithm to um, develop example cases is obviously genetics algorithm is inspired by what biologists have learned about the natural process of evolution which presumably our eyes went down some path that very uh, distant species that came before Homo sapiens had uh, eyes that weren't quite as good as ours. Do you think the biological evolution had the same types of fooling problems early on, or is this a specific situation to just machine learning? I think it's it happens to humans as well, and it happens to animals as well. Actually, a Biologists previously have shown that the animals are also susceptible to optical illusions. Oh, interesting. Yes, let's say a lizard, it can turn its uh, skin to uh, green or different colors just to fool the enemies. Ah, yeah, very so, true. So, yeah, optical illusions happen in nature as well. So, it's interesting that it ha also happens in, uh, on machines, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So lastly, I like to ask my guests for two recommendations, and they can be anything you like, a book, a research paper, a software package, uh, whatever. The first is the benevolent recommendation, something you appreciate and would like to promote but don't have any affiliation with. And second is the self-serving recommendation, something ideally you get a direct benefit from through your appearance here. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think my first recommendation would be the Cafe Image Recognition Software Package. Mm-hmm. It has the off-the-shelf uh, deep neural networks that people in the industry or even the enthusiasts can use for recognitions off-the-shelf. And also it has the online tools to do image recognition as well. You can upload images and then see what the network thinks about that image. Very neat. Um, my second recommendation would be um, please go check out the, our website which has a lot of uh, interesting publications which is uh, evolvingai.org. We do some cool stuff uh, regarding combining evolutionary computation and uh, deep learning.